let's see. First of all, Scott, thank you for what you just did. I have had, we just had this conversation in our life group about some people being, you know, just scared to death of praying in public. And it is, it's talking out loud in public is a big deal. But thank you, because Scott, you know the Grassos, but your mind, it went blank, right? But that's a great example, because what is prayer? Just talking to God. There's no special language, and sometimes we forget. You know, that's good. I think that's good. I, that's so funny. We just had this conversation, and I think, you know, and then we're praying for a, a puppy's potential ACL pull or tear, right? You know, guys, all we're doing, this is a family, and we're supposed to go to God with everything. So that's, thanks, Scott. Thanks for doing that. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, hey, let's get out the word, and uh, let's open up to Matthew 21. And uh, this, this passage I've preached several times, um, but usually around Easter. So why would I preach this around Easter? It's triumphal entry, right? The week, it's only about actually five days, four days before he gets crucified, all right? So it's, it's, it's usually around Easter, but I'm just preaching through Matthew, and that's what we're at. We Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be starting in verse 1, and, uh, and we're going to walk through this, um, and, and hopefully this will be something that God just impresses on us and we're challenged by it. So let, let me get into this here. Um, if you'll remember, what, where, where were they, where were we actually when we were looking at last week's passage, where were we geographically? I, can, I heard someone's Jericho, okay? So where is Jericho in relation to Jerusalem? I want you guys to think. Remember, we've got to go backwards in time. We've got to go to a foreign land. We need to be thinking. We have to be thinking about what's going on in here in this text. We're not sitting here right now. We're sitting in the world of the Bible. We're in Jerusalem in this passage, but we're, last week we were in Jericho, okay? And Jericho geographically is east of Jerusalem, but there's a, I made a big deal about something. Do you remember? Yeah, you're going up to Jerusalem. It's like a 3,300-foot climb from Jericho, which is 800 feet below sea level. The Jordan Rift Valley is just a big tear in the earth that goes way below sea level. So you have to go literally up to Jerusalem. And there's psalms that, these, that people would sing around the pilgrimage feasts. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more. more. There are seven feasts in Israel during their religious calendar. And one of them is Passover. And it wasn't just one day that they would celebrate. They would celebrate uh, for a whole week. And it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Feast of Weeks. And so what happened is people would go from all over Israel. They would end up going up to Jerusalem because if you came from the south... You had to eventually come up to Jerusalem because it's on like an isolated little mountain range. So they'd have psalms of ascents that the pilgrims would all be singing together. And where do these psalms come from? The book of Psalms, right? And many of them are psalms of David. And so they are, the, they are at a time, okay, it's, it's the week before Passover. So there are people traveling to Jerusalem and one of the main routes, if you're coming from the north, Galilee, you would not go straight down the mountain range, which is right down the middle. It's like a spine in Israel. You would go either to the coast or you'd go down the Jordan Valley. Okay, Most went the Jordan Valley. And then when it was time to get up to Jerusalem, you'd go through Jericho and then poof, right up to Jerusalem. Okay, So they're going up to Jerusalem. There's pilgrims 
pilgrims, not talking about like our, from our history, but there are people who are headed to Jerusalem for the feast. Jewish people, faithful Jewish people were commanded to go there and Passover was one of the three big ones. So there's, there's a, a sense of, of fervor building. Something happened at Jerusalem that caused the fervor, the emotion, the anticipation to go up. What happened? We looked at it last week. Okay, well, Lazarus, okay, you got ahead of me on that one. Not that yet. That didn't happen by Jericho, though. That happened right near, that was in Bethany. The healing of the blind man. Okay, because you remember, too, one of the messianic signs is he would heal the blind. Not somebody who had, you know, like, bad vision. You know, oh, got glasses, you're healed. No, he was blind. Healed two blind men, but one of them was Bartimaeus, okay? Anyways, the bottom line is, is that this miracle had happened, and there's all these people around. And, and so there's, there's emotion building. And Jesus had spent several weeks east of Jordan, across the Jordan River, okay? And I told you that, remember, you have to think like a Jew. Why was that area significant, especially around the time of the Passover? Because remember the Passover, it draws you back 1,500 years to what? Okay, to Egypt and Exodus being delivered from Egypt. But remember, I told you this. That in the mind of the Jews, the Exodus was not just deliverance from Egypt. Exodus was a 40-year event. It was being freed by the 10 plagues and then through the Red Sea. But it was including Sinai, where they got the law, and then 40 total years in the desert. And then it ended when they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. It was deliverance from and delivery into. That's the Exodus event. So... Where were Moses and the Jews hanging out when Moses gave his last three sermons? By the way, that's the book of Deuteronomy. It's his final sermons, his goodbye. And he handed over the baton to Joshua, and then he led them through. It was, notice, they were led out through the Red Sea and led into through the Jordan River. That was at flood stage. There's all these things. So they're coming from... That same area, Jesus, that, that's where Jesus was, Perea. He came and he goes through Jericho. Where was the first city that Joshua conquered? Jericho. And there was a lady there who was a pagan prostitute who became a believer, Rahab. And her main proclamation was, we heard what your God did to the Egyptians 40 years ago. For 40 years, we've been trembling All the nations here have been. She heard of the evidence. What did I draw that to? The blind men. Why did they call out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us? Why did they believe? Because of the evidence. The Pharisees saw the same evidence, and what did they say? You're from Satan. They were really blind. The blind really saw. Rahab from the past proclaimed to the Jews, you got to believe in him. He is the son of David. Okay, I'm just trying, trying this picture. So in Jericho, that's what happened last week. All this stuff is going on. There's an anticipation. Jesus, because when he did, remember I talked about the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> last year when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he's sitting up on the hillside talking about the law of God. Who else was on a hillside talking about the law of God? 
Moses. So all of this, then there was a, such a messianic expectation of this time. There, that was, the, that was the, the time, that's what it was characterized by. I mean, there were zealots. One of, one of the disciples was a zealot. What was a zealot? We'd call him today a terrorist against who? Rome. He was a freedom fighter. That was one of the disciples, John the Zealot. So that, that was the, the character of the time. And then here comes Jesus doing all these miracles straight out of Isaiah. Isaiah has chapters 40 through 66 are all about this suffering servant and then this glorious messianic kingdom and all this. And he's doing stuff right out of there. The fervor. You guys have to understand the emotion, the, the anticipation. Because that's what sets the scene for today when we talk about the triumphal entry. I was looking at images on the internet to kind of do a post saying, hey, that's what we're going to be preaching on this weekend. And so many of the pictures are just, they, they're just like cartoony. They have one or two people waving, you know, some palm branches, and there's one or two garments in the road. That's not what happened. That's not what happened at the triumphal entry. Okay? So, so think like a Jew. Think like a Jew from that time period who's heard all about this Jesus, growing fame, is this the guy? You've got the Pharisees sending you mixed messages. He's from Satan? What? How could he be from Satan? Look what he's doing. And that's what's going on here. So, three great pilgrimage feasts, okay, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Don't need to worry about the other two that much. Talked about the Passover, Okay, it's religiously hugely significant. What, why is it called Passover? The angel of death that was the 10th plague passed over specific homes. Which specific homes got passed over or passed by? They didn't get attacked by the angel of death. Okay, the any home where the people stayed inside the home, but they had gotten a lamb, a lamb four days. They were supposed to pick a lamb four days before this special night. Okay, four days. That has to do with the timing of the triumphal entry, by the way. We won't talk about that today. Four days, they're supposed to pick a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and there had to be one lamb for at least 10 people. That makes, that'll make, be significant here too. And, and they were supposed to butcher the lamb, shed the blood, and then roast the lamb. Don't break any bones. But the blood, they were supposed to put on the top of the doorway on the two sides. If you notice that, because the blood would drip, it's supposed to sign. Yeah, okay. But the idea was is that the shed blood would be the thing that the angel of death would pass. Oh, there's blood on the blood of the lamb, and it would pass by. See how significant that is? If you're a Christian, you know anything about what Jesus did. Isn't that significant? You hide under the blood, hugely significant. But that's what Passover, Passover in their mind was not just, oh, that's the night. It's also the night where we were delivered from Egypt. Those who were enslaving us, we were in bondage. And Moses, in back, I'm jumping forward 40 years to his farewell address. He says, hey, by the way, be looking for a prophet just like me. What does that mean? One who brings the law and one who's a deliverer. 
Deuteronomy 18. That's significant. So Exodus has all these deliverance uh, expectations. And, and we'll see when people, when they, when they are shouting out at Jesus because they recognize, they actually proclaim his true identity in this passage. But they also miss the point because their expectation was way too shallow. I've talked to a, a, a friend, no one here, talked to a friend and, and I was talking to them and I said, well, how are you doing today? Well, just living one more day of sobriety. And this was, this was over two years into their sobriety. I was like, well, you're a Christian, right? I said, the person said, yeah. And I said, well, your purpose for living is way too shallow. God's purposes for you as a Christian go way beyond just staying away from alcohol. As good as that is, but that's you, I mean, because that's all this person would really say, that that was their main focus each day. I'm like, no, it shouldn't be. You've got three kids that need a mom who's focused on being a mom that will shepherd and, and love them. You're, and I just went to whole di- the whole list of things that, are, that, are, that flow from our identity in Jesus Christ of who we're supposed to be. And, and that's, that was just a great example of missing the main purpose. And they missed, these people missed his main identity because their expectation was for what kind of deliverer? Yeah, we call it a political victory, right? Someone who will come in conquest over who? The Romans, the hated Romans, the mightiest empire of the time, one of the greatest empires of all time. And that's, that's what they're looking for. But he came to conquer something even worse. Because the Roman Empire had boundaries, didn't it? But the, the, the empire that he came to conquer had, had no boundaries, did it? What was the empire he came to conquer? Sin, death, and Satan. That's, that's mankind's greatest enemy. So that's, that's where we're at in this passage. We just you have to understand what's going on. The, because it's the Passover, the, the expectations are even heightened even more. And, and again, we see the people in how they respond and how they're getting ready. Even the song of ascents, we're going to see, see the people actually praising Jesus and calling out Jesus from one of the Psalms. And this Psalm is Psalm 118, and it's called the, the, the Song of the Deliverer. It's, you were supposed to recite it during the Passover Seder. And they're even quoting from that, calling Jesus exactly that. And when I say there's multitudes, here's the deal. From 10 years, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not even the passage yet, but this is to set the stage. 10 years after, about mid-40s, uh, B, mid-40s AD, a historian named Josephus actually gave uh, how many people, he gave an account of how many people, or I mean, how many lambs were slaughtered. Sorry, Callie, I'm talking about slaughtering of lambs, I know. But he said... That in the mid-40s, so this is about 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, that there were 250,000 lambs slaughtered. How many people per lamb was, were there supposed to be? At least 10. So 10 times 250,000 means 2.5 million people at least were in Jerusalem during this time. That makes a difference because when it says that great multitudes were following Jesus and 
there were a great throng that came running out of Jerusalem to come see Jesus. And I'll, and I'll show you why this makes more sense. That this, this scene was absolute, utter, crazy chaos. But they were unified and screaming out, He's the King. You ever been to a big football game, any of you? Went and saw USC play Berkeley way back in the 90s at the Coliseum. It was packed. Amazing. I didn't go to a big college. I went to a little dinky Biola. But that was intense. Being in a scene like that where the, you know, everyone's cheering and they're saying that. Okay, that's, that's the sound and the feel of what was going on here. When it says the whole city at this time was stirred up, that means that's the same word used for earthquake. Okay, please feel this. I want you to feel this, what's going on here at the triumphal entry. It was not a throng of 150 people who saw him for who he was. It was, some say it could have been easily 100,000 or more. Okay, you with me now? We're in this, you're feeling it? Okay, let's get into this. All right, so here we go. Now... Okay, they had been in Jericho, and now we're up here in Jerusalem. There is actually an intervening thing that happens, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, okay, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to, you, anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and this is talking about specifically Zechariah. Uh, say to the daughter of Zion, that's the people of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So first of all, in the first seven verses, we, we see what's, what I'm calling the preparation for the king. Jesus is sovereignly in charge of getting this whole, really this coronation procession set up. All right, And I want you to see to Bethany... Okay, that's where Mary and Martha, you guys know that story, Mary and Martha, and then Lazarus. Lazarus, by the way, had been raised from the dead only a few weeks before this. And from, from Bethany, this is barely a quarter mile. They actually can't even find Bethphage. Bethphage is a, is a you know, little town that they have actually, actually they, I think they said they might have found it. But the point is it's a little villa, but it's all within a mile and a half, or two miles from the actual temple. So when we're talking about Bethany and Bethphage, we're talking about walking distance just a few minutes away, okay? But here's the deal. Go to the next slide. Oh, I thought I had the pictures up. We'll get to that in a second. There's some more pictures. But the bottom line is that when you go from Bethany and Bethphage, you're still on the way up. And when you get to the top, 
And by the way, you're on the Mount of Olives when you're on the top. And the Mount of Olives, when you come to the crest, you can see the Temple Mount. There's Jerusalem. There's the Temple. It just dominates the scene. We'll see the picture in a minute here. But, but it's, that's the scene. They're all right there. And he's getting everything ready. Matter of fact, John 12 tells us that he actually, when he came from Jericho, and Matthew and Mark leave this little story out because they didn't, they, part of their purpose is they didn't include it. But he actually got there the night before and stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and people, they had heard, oh, he's here. And they actually came from Jerusalem. Many came from Jerusalem and from all over just to see Lazarus because Lazarus being raised from the dead was big news. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're conspiring. They can't stand it. The whole world has gone out to him, it says in John. And so people are coming here to Bethany. Hey, that Jesus is here. And so they're coming. And, and so he's getting everything ready. There's fervor building. And then he says, go get this, this cult. This, this cult and her mom. All right? So he commands them to go just to the village. And, it, and when it says that village opposite where we're at, it means just to, on the other side of the road. It's real close by. And he says, get them. And he says, this was to fulfill prophecy. And this is actually a prophecy from Zechariah uh, chapter 9. Say to the daughter, or I'm sorry, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. See, your king comes to you. He is triumphant and victorious, humbly riding on a donkey. Yes, on a colt, the offspring of a beast of burden. It's funny because uh, a conqueror did not ride a donkey. What did a conqueror ride? Usually a big white horse. Okay, and that's, that's the, the picture is supposed to tw get tweaked a little bit. But there's also part of Isaiah 62.11 in here. Here's what Isaiah 62.11 says. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your salvation comes. See his reward is with him, but his work lies ahead of him. That word, it says see your salvation. That word is actually yesha. And if you know Hebrew, what is Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yeshua. It's the same word, just made a name. Salvation. And, and by the way, in, in Isaiah 62, 11, uh, Isaiah describes this Yesha as a person. See, his reward is with him, but his work lies ahead of him. So in Matthew quoting both from Isaiah and Zechariah, he hints at two comings of the Messiah and the difference between them. The first is on a donkey, humbly. And his second coming, it'll be on horseback. And we see that in Revelation 19, because what is Jesus writing in Revelation 19? On a horse, a white horse, and he's come to conquer. Jesus sits on this colt and begins his kingly yet humble ride towards Jerusalem and the temple. But he's intentionally fulfilling prophecy. Jesus was in charge. I mean, There's many times people said, hey, let's make him king earlier in his ministry. And what would he do? He'd, he'd move away. He'd get away from them. His brothers told him one point, mocking him, hey, why don't you come up during this feast so you can pro proclaim yourself? He says, it's not my time yet. But we saw in, in Matthew, I think it was 16, where it says that he set his face, or maybe it was Luke that said he set his face towards Jerusalem. He was on a mission now. Now's the time to fulfill everything. And we're going to look at this next week, but, or in two weeks. Daniel actually has a prophecy 
from the mid-500s B.C. about the exact timing that the king would show up. It's really cool. And Jesus is fulfilling all this. He's in charge. The crowds are all around him, and it just seems like chaos, but he's still in charge. And folks, that's, that's such a key thing to see here. Jesus was not some rabbi who was swept up in a wave of emotion and, and said, oh, okay, maybe I am the Messiah. No, he always claimed to be. And matter of fact, we see in Matthew 16, he, after, after he was proclaimed by Peter, hey, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, right after that, he told them, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem now, and I'm going to go die. What did Peter do, by the way? Hey, you can't do that. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You're getting in the way of, the, of God's mission, my mission. My mission is to die. Wow. Jesus has been in charge from the beginning. Don't ever forget that because that does make a difference in our own lives now. Things can get chaotic, can't they? Right? Find out, you know, uh, there goes the economy. That happened to us, 2008. Wow, that hit us hard. Right? It can happen any time where things feel chaotic. But you know what? Jesus is still in charge. Always has been, always will be. Amen? All right, let's not miss that in the middle of all this. But Jesus begins his, his, his ascent from Bethany and then over to, to, to head towards the temple. And he's intentional about his claims to kingship, his right to rule, to assume the throne of David. And so let's look at how the people respond. Because in their response, they are actually proclaiming his true identity, even though they had a shallow understanding of what that meant. So verses 8 and 9, we see the adoration of the king. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. <laughs> that just, could you see that nowadays? It just doesn't make sense. But, but we do see that somewhat. Uh, you watch the Emmys or the Oscars. What do they do before it all starts? It's called the red carpet. We have the same idea. A person of honor should never have to walk on mere ground, Right? The people laying out their cloaks, it's a sign of honor, right? And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So we have, first of all, we have the people, we have pilgrims, disciples, the crowd, all sorts of opinions about this Jesus. But at this point, they all had the same proclamation, proclaiming his kingly entrance and that he was indeed the coming king. Was there any opposition, by the way? We, in this Matthew passage, we don't see the opposition being vocal until Jesus was up on the temple, and that's in a couple weeks. But in John, we actually have the Pharisees saying to the disciples, or saying to Jesus, tell them to stop yelling this. And he said no. Why? Because they're actually saying the exactly right thing about who he is. But it's so funny because this very same crowd that's proclaiming him as king, what were they yelling five days later? Crucify him. Now, not everybody there was yelling crucify him, but there's a, this, this is significant because the people of Jerusalem, though recognizing, we don't know how many of those were in that crowd rounded up by the religious leaders five days later, but they were yelling in the very same city, crucify him. So folks... What do you yell out with your life? What does your life say about Jesus Christ? Is he king? 
is your insurance guy or is he just some religious figure that I know about, right? He's the king and he demands being seen as king. And this is maybe, I think, okay, well, here is the pictures. I wanted to show you this. You understand, go back, go back one, Jake. There we go. So the temple, when you're on the Mount of Olives, you're actually looking down at the temple. And down here, it says the Kidron Valley. Do you know what's down there? The, it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he was praying. When he was praying, you can throw a rock. Oh, well, you'd have to throw it really hard, but you're not that far from the, from the temple gate, right? And up here is the temple. The temple was, a, was an amazing complex. The temple of Herod was known as one of the wonders of the world. They didn't call it one of the seven wonders, but it was magnificent. So give me the next picture. So when Jesus comes over the crest, that's what he can see. See this temple here? That's what he sees. You, you see that. And it, when I saw it for the first time, we were driving and, and we were in, I just got into Israel. We're still having a little jet lag and stuff. And we're driving. All of a sudden we came over a hill. And I didn't know, no one said, hey, we're almost at Jerusalem. I was just, all of a sudden we saw it. I was like, oh, I jumped out of my seat. I, was with the, I didn't know most of the people in this tour. I was like, there it is. You guys, there's a response when you see this for the first time because you guys understand, all of salvation history, it points to this place. Where is Jesus going to rule from during his millennial kingdom? From there. You guys understand, this is so significant. And it was, I, wasn't, I didn't expect that. I'm not a I don't like going traveling places to go sightseeing. But when I was in Israel, I was like, wow. But when I got to Jerusalem, I was like, Whoa! But you understand, when Jesus sees that's remember, who is Jesus? He's God. He's the king of that city. He's coming to it, but he knows something's going to happen. His rejection and his crucifixion. And we'll see something else happen here too. But before we get there, let's one, I think there's one more slide. Yeah, this is just the, the big complex. By the way, this is like four football fields side by side across there. Actually, it's bigger than that. It's a huge complex. On that, on that platform, you can fit, oh gosh, I think a third of a million people. So it's, it's a big complex, and it, it just gets crushed during that time. Okay, so this is, this is a big scene, people, okay? All right, all right, we'll go with this. But here we have them laying down garments, and that's them honoring him, homage to the king. Right, and, and this is, seems foreign to us, but that's what they also did in into uh, King Jehu. So it was just like it happened to another king back in Second Kings nine, and waving palm branches. That was a, a, a an eastern way of of showing honor to a deliverer, to a conquering king. And they'd actually done this in the mid one hundreds BC to uh, Judas Maccabeus, who just kicked out some of the Greek influence, and that's a whole nother war, the Maccabean revolt. But this had happened, and they had called him a deliverer too, but they're calling Jesus here, and they're quoting Hosanna, and that's, they're praising him. Hosanna, what does that mean? Salvation now. That's what they're saying. Save us now, deliver us now. Blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord. So where is this deliverer coming from? From the Lord. They recognize that he was from the Lord. Not saying they recognize his divinity, but they recognize this is God's gift to us of deliverance. They're saying that about Jesus. Hosanna in the highest. God is our deliverer. That's where he's coming from. What did the angels say on the night that Jesus was born? Glory to God in the highest. 
Luke 19 tells us that the crowd got even louder because it says a crowd came out from Jerusalem to meet them running up that hill, that that half-mile walk. The people want an earthly deliverer. The disciples are caught up in the emotion and excitement, but they didn't understand what had happened. John tells us they didn't understand until later, after the resurrection, what that was. The king being welcomed. They didn't understand that till later. So if you missed the point, that's okay. (laughs) God works with hard-headed people. He has. They had them in his disciples. I'm one of them. It's amazing, though. The religious leaders should have been in that crowd being the loudest of those praising him, shouldn't they? Because they had the scriptures, and yet they missed this Jesus. They were blind spiritually. They wanted a Jesus of their own terms, didn't they? Hey, you guys are good. You self-righteous legalists, that's great. I love you. you guys are... No, he didn't do that, did he, with the religious leaders? He called them out. And they didn't like Jesus because he was not doing what they wanted. You guys, the king decides. The king has the authority, the power, and the might, and the right. We do not. The king, Jesus, in front of you in Scripture is not a king who will negotiate. Okay, He demands worship and obedience. Please hear that. We also know he's a loving, gentle king, but he's a king nonetheless. He says, if he says there's one way to salvation, what does that mean? There's one way. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. Please hear that. But this crowd is a good picture of us, isn't it? We live life on our own terms. We're selfish creatures. And, and this is where so many people stumble because Jesus is not going to come uh, on their terms, but on his terms. But the problem is that there's grave eternal consequences if you reject him as king. And that's actually what we see. We see a taste of that in verses 10 and 11. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. It was like an earthquake saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. And before I go there, I wanted to bring out this, is that we see actually Jesus, it says when he, I have to go back just a few moments, is that he, when he came to the crest and he saw Jerusalem, you know what he did with all these thousands and thousands and thousands of people screaming out, Hosanna, you know what he says he did? What passage? He, it didn't, it didn't say he wept, it says he sobbed in Luke. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, but that word is a word for sobbing. Why would Jesus, in the midst of all this acclamation and praise, start sobbing? Because he knew that they were going to reject him. And then he knew what was going to happen. He even said it would happen. He said that they would suffer judgment. And that's exactly what happened 40 years later when the Romans came Because of the the revolt that happened in 66, by 70 AD, they came and conquered Jerusalem, scraped the temple off the Temple Mount, and killed hundreds of thousands of Jews. And And Jesus proclaimed that that was going to be the judgment from God for rejecting him. And because of that, he sobbed. He sobbed. says that Josephus tells us 600,000 Jews were killed when they conquered Jerusalem. It's an amazing, gross story. 
So in the midst of all this acclaim, we see Christ's compassion, didn't we? We saw his compassion to the, to the blind men in the previous passage. He stopped. He, matter of fact, he commanded the people to bring the blind men to him. Why? Because of his compassion. He felt sympathy. Remember I talked about that last week, that word that means innards, the gut. He, in his core, he had sympathy, love for them. Well, here we see him sobbing because he, he knew it was coming. We see the, the rejection kind of come out when their reaction to Jesus. When, when he entered, all the city was stirred up. What's going on here? And the answer is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's at once appropriate, yet it misses the point. He, he is not just a prophet, is he? Matter of fact, Jesus, when he talked to the disciples in Matthew 16, when he's up by Caesarea Philippi, he says, hey, who do, who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, we, they, you're maybe a Jeremiah or Elijah or, you know, a, some kind of prophet. And then he said to them, but who do you say I am? What did he say? That's where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the crowd saw him as a prophet. And, and, and he was indeed a prophet. Absolutely he was a prophet, but was he just a prophet? No, he was the prophet. And they saw him as a, as a, as a rabbi, someone called rabbi, but was he just any rabbi? And rabbi means teacher, one to follow and imitate. He was the rabbi. And they're calling him son of David. What is that? That's the title of the, mess, the Messiah, the, the descendant of David who would be king. But they had a wrong kind of Messiah in their mind, didn't they? And, and they called him the prophet of Jesus from where? Nazareth in Galilee. What was Thomas's reaction when he heard, when he was told, hey, we've got to come see this Jesus guy? I think it was Andrew or Philip who said, hey, you got to come see this Jesus guy. What did Thomas say? This Jesus of Nazareth, Thomas says, what? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So you guys understand, they're, they're missing the point. Once they heard he was the Messiah, what should they have all done immediately? Yeah, worshiped. Come out and then just stayed out and then just followed him. Now, the next scene we see is a big deal. And this shows why, why many didn't follow him, what he does next. We'll look at that in, in our passage next time. But folks, do not miss this. Jesus is the king. If you're not a Christian, I'm not trying to hammer thing, anything into you except for you to know that there's only one way to salvation is Jesus Christ. And if you're missing it, that's, that's fine. They missed it back then too. Even the disciples didn't quite understand. But now that you've heard who he is, that He is indeed not just an earthly deliverer, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who came to die for sins. You have something you have to do now. In Hebrews it says, today is the day to respond. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so you need to do that. And Christians, yeah, this one for me is so, you know, because He's called the Messiah, His title is King. I get the Savior part. I'm so glad He's our Savior. But what does Lord mean? What does King mean? Is it just a title we say? Or is it a life that shows that we really live under His authority? And so this should be an examination. It's, it has been for me. It always should be to say, well, how is my life reflecting His kingship? It gets, it gets really convicting. It gets me up at night and I just have to repent and so, guys okay with the got to deal with that, huh? I'm, I'm not sorry for bringing it up, but hey, I've been struggling with it, and so you have to too now, right? 
But let's, let's sincerely ask, is he really king? Is he really my king? All right? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this scene. I thank you for this because in it we see the right proclamation of who you are. You are indeed the son of David, the promised one, the one who would come to reign, the one who will be victorious over every enemy. And Lord, I thank you for conquering the worst enemy of all, my sin, that Satan and death. Because, because, because you've conquered sin, now, now the power of sin over me, its dominion over me is broken. I'm no longer, I don't, no longer have to be a slave to sin. Because you conquered Satan, you crushed his head. And that final victory will come when you return, and that we long for. But his power over me is no more. I belong to you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm in your family. I'm your child a full inheritor, fully adopted, forever yours. And Lord, that's true for every Christian who's ever been born, who's in this room now. Lord, that's true. Sin's power, Satan's dominion, and death's sting has been taken care of. Eternal death is no longer something I have to worry about because of you, Lord Jesus. Because of, of, of what you offered on that cross, your blood, your blood covers over my sin. Your righteousness becomes mine, and I can stand before a holy God in His family for eternity now, clothed in Your righteousness, Jesus. And we praise You for that. There's times I wish I could go back to this time to be part of the crowd just screaming out, yelling, but I'm glad I'm on this side of the cross because uh, what we have in You now is even better. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Pray that this would be a, a, something we consider. Uh, what kind of person would we have been in that crowd? Disinterested, along for just the ride, in opposition, or truly one of your followers? God, we love you. Thank you for our time, and uh, we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.